Hello, and welcome to this episode of People of Purpose. My name is Joanna Scott, and I've been hosting this podcast since 2015. I started People of Purpose because I became curious about how people break into careers they really love, why they love it, what challenges they face, what mindset helps them to get started, and what advice they have for other people wanting to do work of purpose too. But mostly, I just wanted a chance to speak to my heroes. This whole exercise is completely indulgent, but bear with me. There's a lot of bad news out there, and I wanted to contribute something that takes an optimistic view of the world. There are so many people doing wonderful things too, if you know where to look. And their stories might just inspire us to go out and do things too to have the courage to start that thing that we've been scheming and dreaming about, or just take on a new and fun, exciting project. So let's meet our next guest. Today on People of Purpose, we meet Sophie Hansen. Sophie is an established food and lifestyle features writer, a successful blogger, and a local and seasonal food champion. Sophie's photos are scroll-stopping on Instagram, and she has a beautiful way with words, managing to capture life on the farm and the emotion around every meal perfectly, all the while making each post helpful to us readers. She flexes these talents under her popular blog, Local is Lovely, and also teaches them under her newer but just as popular social media school called My Open Kitchen. Sophie is an advocate for farmers and country creatives, encouraging them to find their voice and share their stories on social media and subsequently out in the real world. Sophie, welcome to People of Purpose. Thanks, Jo. Thanks for having me. Sophie, you seem to have the definition of a multi-passionate career. How do you explain to people what you do? Well, I have to say sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a jack-of-all, master of none. Um, I do wear a lot of hats, um, but but my, my biggest hat, I guess, is is food writer, um, and um, and will now cookbook author. But I do, as you said, um, I work with a lot of creatives and producers and farmers on helping them kind of take advantage of content marketing and social media platforms to reach their audiences. So yeah, I do a lot of different things. But I guess the fundamental thing that I love to do is tell stories um, and build build communities around those stories. And people that come to you either for your like they want to partner with you through your business, your freelance business, or they come to your courses. What what are these people like? What do they do in general? It's a real mix, actually. When I first started My Open Kitchen, it was pretty much all producers and farmers. Um, but now I have um, a lot of, of different, mostly regional small businesses, pretty much all run by women, coincidentally. Oh, interesting. Um, but, you know, in my, I've got an e-course that starts soon. And in that one, I've got everything from uh, uh, fashion design, ethical fashion designing. Um, I've got a jewellery maker. I've got a chef. I have um, yeah. garlic grower. Like, it's really amazing. But but all of them are coming together for the same reason, which is that I, that desire to build community and connection around the thing that they do. And that must be cool for them to be in a room or in on a, in a course with mm. people who are very different to them to see how other people tell their stories. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm a really big believer in the power of collaboration. And I think, um, you know, whenever I do an in-person workshop as well, the magic is seeing people say, oh, hey, you know, maybe if I write um, stories, you could take the photos mm. and we can do this cool project or whatever it might be. Because I think 
that's how it works you know when you do kind of connect with like-minded people and and who have a complementary business or a complementary product or service um and then you're tapping into each other's networks and and you're growing like that and supporting each other I think it really works well and I think that in this new world of social media or not even new but this the way we live now and the way we live our lives out on Mm. social media in some ways has its critics but that kind of collaboration shows that it's actually real world outcomes that are coming from Mm. sharing a story like that yeah I think it's all comes down to intent like what you're the reason you're using social media for in the first place if your intent is to do good things and um, build communities and share your knowledge generously um, you'll probably have a good experience mm, but if so your true. intent is to um, you know just barrel on in and buy 50 million followers mm. and, and have all the numbers but not have any engagement then it might fall flat a little bit so yeah. um, I also think yeah social media cops a lot and everyone's really anti-influencer at the moment and all that kind of stuff but we are all adults and we have to take responsibility for how we use social media and yeah. if, if a particular feed or a particular corner of the internet's not making you feel good or doesn't benefit you to switch off yeah just and don't. concentrate on the corners that that are bringing you joy or or building your community or whatever it might be so you were named 2016 national rural woman of the year what was that experience like it was amazing it was um it, it opened lots of doors to me and i think um the biggest thing it did for me was give me the courage of my conviction. You know, mm. I think for a long time um, I spent my 20s writing articles for, for mag- lifestyle magazines about food and producers and um, I always thought maybe I was a bit of the colour story, a bit, of, a bit fluffy and a bit sort of like, oh, you know, doing something nice but, but um, leave the serious stuff to people over here. But I think um, what it helped me realise is that, you know, helping people tell their stories and giving people the confidence to use these platforms to reach um to grow communities i keep mm. saying this is is a really important thing to do because everybody has a story but mm. not everybody has the confidence to realize or or just you know i think particularly country people think oh you know no one cares about what i'm going to do yeah. i don't want to blow my own trumpet but actually we all really do care so it just sort of um yeah it made me realize i guess that um i had something worthwhile to contribute and it wasn't just a fluff story mm, that's so cool <laughs> i was reading your outgoing speech in preparation for this interview so the speech that you gave when oh, yeah. you completed mm-hmm. your year as rural woman of the year and the new ones were being announced and i got the keen sense that you had felt very supported in that time mm. and that as a result, you feel that it's really vital that those on top support those coming up. So what advice would you give to someone who probably hasn't yet put themselves out in the world, but has that desire to do so? Um, I think be um just put yourself out there that's the hardest thing just do to it. sort of put, throw your hat in the ring. It's yeah. really hard, you know, and you think, oh, um, uh do that also reach out to people and and you never know they might say no I'm not I'm too busy to sort of sit and 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 um, talk to you about x y and z but um you know reach out to people with solutions you know say oh I'd like to pick your brains about x y and z for this reason and hear the questions in advance or whatever it might be so everybody's really busy I think um everybody's happy to help out and 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 you know support each other but make it as easy as possible for people to do that for you I think yeah 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 I think so and and just um 
and just yeah reach out and and know that there is this amazing especially in the rural woman of the year kind of community that I kind of found myself in there's is a network of alumni of past and previous and um present sort of finalists and winners um and it's an amazing network of women who who will absolutely do anything to help you um yeah it's great and it's just about asking it's about you know maybe being a bit vulnerable or maybe saying to someone hey look this is the speech I've written would you mind just reading over it and tell me what you think or um people will do it you just have to reach out to them have to ask Mm. And do you still have moments of fear or self-doubt or uncertainty, even after all, you know, all, the all this time of doing it? All the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a really sensitive person, so I find um, copying criticism um, hard, you know. And I think... That's, but that's who, what what makes me who I am and maybe that contributes, you know, often a lot of creative people are really sensitive, I'm yeah. not sure. Um, but absolutely, I mean, I feel now a lot more comfortable with um, what I'm doing and the voice that I use when I, you know, the, by voice I mean the way I write and the mm-hmm. way I express myself online, the kind of images that I post. Um, but I've been doing it for eight years. I've yeah. been on social media for eight years and I now have quite a keen sense of how I want to communicate and what feels comfortable. What and- feels comfortable. But I still, I still second guess myself all the Mm -hmm. time, and I might put something on my Instagram and take it down an hour later because it just doesn't feel right. (laughs) Yeah. I guess my only thing is just go with your gut. Mm. You really got to if if you have a feeling that something is is a good thing to share or a good project to try, it probably is. If there's a niggling feeling of like "Mm, actually, then maybe you need to just stop and relook at it and come at it from a different angle. Style or my yeah my natural voice, then maybe. Try yeah, again. absolutely. And I think, yeah, just trust your instincts, I think is a really good one. But I think all of us have that creep of self-doubt. It's, yeah. it's human nature. Yep. Um, but try not to let it freeze you up. I think mm. that's what you've got to – you've just got to know, right, I'm in my lane. I know what I'm doing. I know who my audience is. I know who I'm serving. I'm being generous with my knowledge. Yep. Um, I'm here for the right reasons. And you've got to just rely on that, I think. Yeah, so coming back to the reasons, you're doing it all, being very clear on that. Mm. And then when those – moments of self-doubt come in it's a reminder that I've done the work and I know what I'm doing so stay on that path absolutely and you know I'm I'm a big fan of Brene Brown and her whole power of vulnerability (laughs) and you know putting yourself out there makes you you are vulnerable because anyone can say hey I don't like that Mm. cake you just shared the recipe for I don't like this or but um having that kind of that courage um I think you can find a little bit of comfort in that you know and she makes a very good point that if someone does criticise you, which actually I think doesn't happen as, happen as much as we fear it might happen. But Absolutely. <laughs> when it no, does, it, it feels big. But if that person isn't in the same world and they aren't dealing with the same challenges of vulnerability, then they, you, know, you almost shouldn't listen to them because... Mm. They're not, they're not in the ring with you is the term, is the phrase that yeah, she uses. Yeah, I think I couldn't agree more. And I like, um, I often think of that if, if someone makes a sort of anarchy sounding comment on something you've put out there, it actually often says a lot more about where they are yeah, in their headspace and their life at yeah, that time yep. than you. And maybe they don't mean it to sound um, rude. Or I yep. mean, I posted a recipe two days ago and someone wrote back, you know, sent me a private message saying, you know, I hate it how you don't put um, serving suggestions on these recipes. <laughs> I'm like, it's an Instagram recipe. It was just a couple of, it was just a suggestion really. But um, I don't think that person meant to be rude. I think right. they were just in a rush and maybe their kid was nagging at them. I don't know. Maybe they were just yeah. in a bad headspace and yeah. they forgot to say please and thank you. And, you know. 
Tell me about your farm, Mandadri Creek. We are about 25 minutes out of Orange. Um, we're about 1,500 acres and we farm, well, up until recently, we just exclusively farmed red deer and we have a um, meat processing business as well called Mandadjuri Creek Venison. My husband, Tim, really runs that. That's his sort of business and his thing. I help out on the farm and it's where we live. It's a big part of our life, but um, certainly that's his business and he does an amazing job with it. Um, Tim was a meat trader in Melbourne before he bought the farm which was a couple of years before I came on the scene about so what's that 17 years ago um so he um we're completely vertically integrated in the sense that um he has that background training in in um in meat trading and so we we grow the animals we process the animals we um well I should say we raise the animals we process the animals we market everything ourselves so um the idea is that you know as much margin as we can keep in the mix we do because otherwise with, with such a small farm it's really not very viable um, we farm according to holistic practices, which means um, as few inputs as possible. Um, and yeah, like we're really, animal welfare is a really big thing for us. We love our animals. Tim is obsessed with, he finds deer just endlessly fascinating. And they are an amazing animal. So yeah, we recently bought some cattle because with the drought, we destocked a lot. Right. And um, it's difficult to restock with deer because it just it's, you just can't go to a sale yard common, and buy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it just takes a, a you know it, you've just got to breed back up over right. years. So um, yeah, so we bought some cattle because we've got this farm that a lot of it's just sort of sitting fallow at the moment, which is not a bad thing. It's a bit of recovery. Uh, yeah, so cool. that's that's what we do on the farm. And what's your favourite thing about living on the farm? Um, what's my favourite thing? The sp- Space, I think having mm. that space around us um, and having the kids growing up as part of our livelihood, I really like that, you know, that most weekends, you know, at least half of Sunday we're doing jobs, the kids are involved, they're on their motorbike or they're opening and shutting gates mm. or whatever it might be. And it, I think it just sort of maybe gives them, I don't know any other jobs other than farming where, you know, your whole you family can be involved. Yeah, so true. Um, and sometimes it's a good thing. Ask my 12-year-old daughter. She, it's a terrible <laughs> thing. Well, my friends are at the movies. And I'm <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I like that idea of them being aware of, of, of what it takes to make a dollar and how mm. hard it is and how hard we work. Um, yeah, I think that I appreciate that. We love it. It's a really beautiful part of the world, and um, I'm a city girl originally. And I sometimes I do miss the kind of the bright lights, but yeah. um, the older I get, the more I appreciate just coming home to the calm of. I get the I get country. the sense from your Instagram that that calmness is what you like. Mm. You know, often you're traveling a lot, you're doing a lot, and then you come home and it's just like, okay, now yeah. I'm home. Yeah, I love nothing more than just shutting the front gate yeah. and being. And in fact, when we had the snow weekend recently almost four days I didn't leave home and it was just heaven (laughs) um yeah we were kind of we'd eaten the fridge out by the end of it but um it was yeah it was really nice tell me about your time working for the slow food organization in northern Italy that was just a dream job um sounds like a dream job yeah it was I went there as an intern on a three-month internship unpaid so they put me up they gave me accommodation and room and board well room and board um and I quit my job. I was features editor for a magazine called Australian Table back in Sydney. It was a great job. And so it was a real leap of faith. Um, and I quit my job and I went over there and did that three months. And then they offered me a job, a paid job after that. And I stayed for about three years. Um, it was amazing. You know, the slow food movement is is something I believe in very deeply. Um, and it's not, my grandmother thought I was just making casseroles for three <laughs> years. But of course, it's a lot more than that. Um, it's, it's a really, you know, it's in defense of food cultures and 
promoting the farmers as the, the heroes of the story um, and, and just kind of shining a light on, on all those quirky little cheeses and wines and, and because there's stories and jobs and communities built around all those different um, foods and food cultures. So yes. um, it was great and, you know, a lot of my cooking now is very influenced, like probably the whole world, by Italian yeah, cooking. Yeah. Um, but what I really love about it is the simplicity and how if you've got beautiful, good seasonal ingredients, mm. you can just serve it's a tomato magic. as the main course, yeah. you know, if it's got good olive oil on it, you yeah, know, like it's... Yeah. Um, I think we just complicate food a bit. We we get a bit stressed about it and mm. all these cooking shows and everything where it's a competition. Yeah. And um, I think we just have to go back to basics a bit more and that's probably the biggest thing that my time over there took taught me was to really honor honor the seasons the real food yeah yeah Yeah, that's my favorite way to eat and I was reading your book which we'll talk more about but there's a paragraph in there where you talk about the importance of good lunch and how in Italy you know people do take a lunch break and Mm. um I think those kinds of ideas are quite known now whether whether or not people do them this side you know we we, mm-hmm. we look to places like italy the slow food movement we want more of that well many people yeah. do want more of that but at the time when you were living there what was it like was it very different to australia did you feel like you came back well, with a changed attitude and mm, i mean I, I have to say i'm sure not every office in Italy was like the slow right. food office. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first Good it was point. slow food, right? You know, it had to, like, of course, everybody had a vested interest in in, in eating that way. Um, but also we were in a small town, in the town of Bra, where the headquarters are, um, is the hometown of the founder, Carlo Petrini, who's written lots of really interesting books about all of this. But anyway, um, it's a town about like Orange, about 40,000 people. So we, our offices were walking distance from probably most employees' home. So we could walk home for lunch. It's not like, I'm sure in Milan, not everybody goes home to lunch because it's just not feasible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it. I really loved how stopping for a meal was just no one even questioned it you know that it was of course you need to stop and refuel of course Mm. you need to take some time out and step away from your desk and and just have a conversation with someone it's not indulgent it's just no it's just like being they can't imagine any other way um and yeah i think it's those little moments you know where you just sit in the sun and have your your lunch with a book maybe rather than at your desk things Mm. like that can make a big difference to the net happiness of your day maybe yes yeah absolutely and I think those pauses whether it is for lunch or whether it's just a walk outside or a conversation with someone yeah they just change up your perspective mm-hmm. you know you're not in that um the details and the minutiae of the things that appear to be stressful you're kind of just taking mm. a breath and taking a break which I think is beneficial to everyone definitely and I think what I've learned as well is you've got to really listen to where your head's at like there are some days where I'm just the words just flow out of me and I I could write all day and all night and I do try and keep going when I'm on a day like that but there's some days when it's just like oh just not feeling it so maybe in those days I do admin or I edit photos or um, I go for a walk or you know you do the other so I think you know and when you work for yourself you have the luxury of being able to do that to a certain point I mean there are some days where one of my old editors used to call it um, bum glue. You just have to like glue your bum to the seat and, <laughs> and get, get that done. done. Um, but, you know, listening to, to where you're at and, and maybe it's just not happening. So maybe you do just go and go for a walk, 10 yeah. minute walk. And when you come back, you know, you might have different perspective. Or, mm. So I think being aware of, of where you are, where your yes. head's at, you know, and, and really taking advantage of that. Yeah, I, um, I try to do that too. I, I think of it in terms of energy. So... 
it's not about you know at 9am I do this and then at, after lunch I do this it's mm-hmm. more about exactly as you've said how, how am I feeling what can I achieve with this so if I am feeling really creative and I feel like I want to write and it's just coming or what or, you know creating whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing mm-hmm. then that would be a waste to use that time yes doing exactly some, you know, responding to emails or Ooh. getting you know some banking done like yes. kind of understanding how you can best use your energy I, th- I agree I think um yeah, I think we've all got to be a lot more aware of, of the, the, the different energies, I guess. Mm. For me, the morning is my creative time. That's yes. where I try and often I don't even open my email till like one o'clock in the afternoon because I find it so distracting. It's, distracting. it's very distracting, um, yeah. yeah. Cool. So let's move on to your book, A Basket by the Door, which you recently released and is now going to reprint. Second reprint. Second reprint. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I know. It's exciting, yeah. So I love this book for its unique take as a cookbook. I really felt a sense, you know, I initially bought it because, you know, I follow you and I love your work and I thought this is going to be a great book. Mm. But when I read it, it's just so different to anything, any other cookbook I own because of the way it's organized. So it's organized around the idea of creating a basket of food for someone as a gesture of love. Mm -hmm. How did the idea for this book take shape? Um, So I... um the germ of the idea for it had been kind of um, quietly growing for a long time. Um, and then I had a conversation with someone at Murdoch Books about any future book ideas or, you know, whether it was something I wanted to do. Because I already have one book that I wrote a few years ago called Local is Lovely. And they were like, would you be interested in another one? And I was like, actually, yes. And it's funny, I was just in one of those flow days when I was just was feeling very creative and it just came out almost fully formed the idea for a basket by the door well just the name and the concept and um but it started really when I bought a daughter Alice home or when we bought Alice home from hospital and she's just turned 12 um there was a basket by our door and there you know there was lamb shanks and a little bunch of flowers and a bottle of wine and um (laughs) and our friend had driven all the way you know half an hour out of town to drop it off knowing I wasn't going to be home yet because yeah. that in itself was quite thoughtful you know not that I'm antisocial but I just didn't feel it's like not the time not yeah. the time um and I was just blown away like I just thought oh, it's just incredible and it never left me that gesture and I then tried to kind of do it as much as I could when other friends had babies mm. or when you know maybe things were going you know they'd had some bad news or they were recovering or whatever it might be I think I really don't think there's any better way of showing people how much you love them yeah. than cooking for them um so yeah I I just felt I just I loved the project I loved writing the book I love going and I've been promote out sort of on the book tour and and it's been really lovely because it's not about me at all it's about stories of yeah. when people have made a basket or received a basket or doesn't have to be a basket obviously that, <laughs> you know what I mean yeah that's exactly right mm. and that story about your daughter when you came home with your newborn mm. really resonated I have two a two-year-old and a one-year-old and I think you know, there are those times in life where company is not necessarily what you need mm. and this idea that, you know, whether it's you receiving it or giving it to someone else, mm. that, yeah, you can show love like that and it's and it's so appreciated, you know, when you yeah. don't have time to cook. It's just, yeah, and you, but you need to eat. So <laughs> Exactly. And, and it's so much, um, you know, it's not just saying to people, um, I care that you're being nourished and I care that actually you're putting good food into your tummy because maybe you've just had a terrible breakup and you're just mm. too sad to eat, but you still have to eat. Yeah. It's, it's also saying to people, you're worth my time. Like yes. you are worth me spending half an hour, half a day or, you know, two hours baking this chicken pie for you because mm. I love you that much. And I think that says so much to people as well. It does. Mm. You've created a career and your whole life 
seemingly around food. (laughs) (laughs) I'm greedy. (laughs) (laughs) And in the book, you include a memory for nearly every single recipe, which I loved reading. And so I'm guessing you've thought a lot about this, you know, food philosophy. What part do you think food plays in our lives, our memories and our relationships? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it plays a really beautiful part. I mean, you know, and the food that I write about and cook and love most is not fancy or particularly special. I mean, you know, it's it's just good, tasty, seasonal food. Um, But it's my memories of feeling loved nearly all involve you know the smell of the biscuits mum used to make yeah. after school or when we'd visit my gr- grandparents and would open the door and you could smell her famous chicken pancakes because she knows how much we love them yeah. but she knew how much we loved them and so um I think it is just such a tangible expression of love and belonging you know every culture has its foods mm. that you know you, you know you talk to people um I've got a friend who who's um uh, come out from well, Turkey a long time ago. Her family's Turkish. And um, she's like, when she smells the spices of her childhood, it eases her homesickness a little oh, bit. You know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Smell I think is so powerful. So powerful. And and I think it's just, it's that feeling of belonging and mm. it's that feeling of where we've come from and, and how we want to move forward. You know, the way I cook for my family now is, um, you know, I want them to have those memories. And I know... When my daughter's had a bad day, I know what to cook her and I yeah. know what will make her feel better. Even what for does our, she like? Oh, well, she loves the chicken pancakes I mentioned yep. before that my <laughs> granny used to make because they were my favourite. She loves a roast chicken. Yeah. Um, you know, just also simple. Comfort simple food. food. Yeah. 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 So I think it's just, to me, it is a really tangible. Sometimes things happen and you just feel so completely helpless and yeah. it's just so... <laughs> desperately sad but there's one thing you can do is is make a meal for that person you know so I think it's just it is a tangible expression of love and I think obviously it's not everything but um and I think that act of coming together at a table yeah is is a really well slow food always called it a political act because you know the consumer's choices are you know we really drive these forces if you know if we all choose en masse to do the right thing I love that yeah, it I, mean, is I, I know that idea, but yeah. just saying the idea of sitting down mm. to enjoy a meal with your friends and family and people you love is yeah. a political act. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> sounds a bit. Um, it maybe doesn't sound so nice when you think of it like that. But you know, if if you if we all make better choices and if we all decide to eat seasonally, if we all yeah. decide to support our farmers, that can make an impact. And and you know, ultimately, the big, big, the big companies will listen. I yeah, hope. and it's a way of life because it's every meal, because yeah. it's every day, because it's a necessity. Yeah. It's not something we can choose to engage in or not. It's yeah, the choices we make are the choices we make. So Absolutely. it's powerful. How has the book been received? What sort of things have been coming up in your book tours, and what have people been yeah. saying to you? Um, beautiful things. Like I think, um, I think the concept behind the book has resonated with people, especially at the moment when the world is pretty scary and there's so much happening that we feel so out of you know we're so out of control and you know horrible men are saying horrible things (laughs) you know know, that idea of just coming back to the simple things and and you know making um lamb shanks to take to a friend you know it's it's um it's kind of a comforting um thing to do and and be a part of and I, I 
everybody has a story of when they were maybe sick or had their baby or when someone had died and people bought food like it's just the fabric of our society yeah. I think so it's been really lovely and everybody has come up to me when I'm signing books and told me a story of when someone something someone did this or someone did that and um, I'm collecting them all actually some beautiful stories so it's been it's great. So great yeah it's been really a uh, book in itself <laughs> I know I know wouldn't that be nice um, yeah so it's been it's been a real delight so I'm going to finish on what's next for you. You seem as though you probably don't sit still for long. What's, what's in the pipeline? Well, um, like Joe, I think you're the same. You know, when you're freelance or when you have your own business, you, you do have to just keep moving forward. Yeah. And Okay, so when, where's my next bit of income coming from? <laughs> yeah. You know, like this is my business, it's my income. So um, I have to keep thinking and, and paddling along. But um, my e-course is about to start, so I'm rewriting that right now. Um, moving away from just doing social media but content marketing because I really think you can't just rely on social media anymore to build a brand or a business Um, you know to build to put all your eggs in this one basket of a platform you don't control or have you know have any kind of and can change ownership over yeah so I'm, I'm a big I mean, I love blogging, I love newsletters. I think just that idea of being generous with your knowledge and building up that kind of um, foundation around what you do. So that's what I'm doing. I would love to do another book. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe. We'll have to see. Do you have any ideas or ones um, you can share with us? uh, Not yet. I mean, as I said, My Open Kitchen – I mean, not My Open Kitchen. A Basket by the Door just kind of came fully formed. I knew exactly how I wanted it to look. I even kind of had the cover in my head, you know, from the very beginning. Um, but uh, yeah I mean I'm, I'm sort of working on some ideas but we'll, we'll see yeah there's a lot of cookbooks out in the world so I'm not sure you know if the world does need another one but um, I'll try and find a you'll know when a corner when the next one yeah there. exactly <laughs> well Sophie thank you you're a source of inspiration for farmers creatives and country women everywhere so thank you for sharing your story today and thanks for being on People of Purpose oh my pleasure thank you so much Joe.